You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yoshua Pupko of Beth Israel, Beth Aaron. Getting that out of my mouth properly. Beth Israel, Beth Aaron. Sort of a little bit of a lisp there. In Cote St. Luke, Montreal, in other words, for, for the people who aren't familiar, and the our big neighbor to the North Canada. I want to know, uh, let's get to the heart of the matter right now. Um, is there an issue with, uh, you know, we're right after the announcement of the three guilty verdicts um, in the uh, Darren Chauvin trial. Is, are there police issues in Canada as well? Are you hearing about police issues like we have yeah, here? Yeah, listen, that, wherever uh, there are police, and uh, there are always issues. There's, again, nothing, nothing that would compare at all to what's been going on in the States the last couple of years. Uh, it, when I say what's been going on the last couple of years, I don't mean it just started the last couple of years, but the, the, uh, the profile uh, of this issue, and it has in the States the last couple of years. There's nothing like that here. However, there are... Uh, was a story about a month ago in Montreal with, uh, you know, an inappropriate arrest of a uh, 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 of a black civilian and uh, mistreatment. There, there are stories, absolutely, but again, there's much less gun violence. You know, one of the uh, distinctions between the U.S. and uh, pretty much everywhere else in the Western world is, is of course, gun violence. Uh, and uh, if you don't have that here, and you don't have the, you don't have the frequency of confrontations between uh, police and, uh, and civilians. Also, also, obviously, in a culture, we don't have that, that many guns around. Police are less wary of who they're approaching when they pull someone over in a traffic stop or even uh, when they're called to a crime scene. Because, again, uh, you know, the ubiquitous presence of firearms in the U.S. create a... Uh, you know, uh, a, a certain fear in law enforcement that the people that are confronting me have the ability to kill me. You don't have that in Canada, but uh, you still have problems with uh, racial minorities and confrontations with the police. Uh-huh. Some of it might, you know, it, 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 uh, so much of a police encounter is, of course, a state of mind. You know, there's body language and how you're at it. And, and if you are agitated based on what you hear happening south of the border, I would assume that that would uh, have a ripple effect. So where you had it not been for the whole, you know, the the George Floyd scenario, it could be that a lot of these these incidents that are occurring perhaps in Canada would also be considered minor. But 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 they are now it's almost like everything is rolled up into everything. So um, listen, um, what was that first case in Missouri outside of St. Louis? The one where. uh, Hands up, don't shoot. What was the name of that fellow uh, who was killed? Ferguson? Yes, in, yes, in Ferguson. Um, yeah. Michael Brown? Right, Michael Brown and Ferguson. So there are a lot of different stories out there. I mean, that Michael Ferguson case was investigated by the locals and by the federal uh, Department of Justice. And, and both investigations concluded that it was a, that it was a clean shoot. Yes. Uh, he was reaching for the, for the officer's gun. And, and, and yet he became a symbol of police violence against blacks, which was certainly inappropriate. The case of Derek Chauvin is very different. Uh, George Floyd, uh, you know, for everyone to see on on the you know, on, on the body cam, what, or actually it wasn't body cam footage. It was the uh, footage. It was a, a, someone uh, from a cell phone. Yeah, yeah so by cell phone. cell phone. It was then there was body cam footage earlier in the encounter, but it was clear that 
it was clear that the use of force was excessive, but it's also clear even in the George Ford case that had he not resisted, he would be alive. That doesn't mean Derek Chauvin was right. Derek Chauvin deserved to be in prison and deserved to be convicted, but it's also absolutely accurate to say that had he not vigorously resisted, right, as the, as the footage demonstrates the back of the police yeah. car, he would be alive today. Yeah, well, look, and, I, you know what? I, I, look, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I just paid for my son to go to law school. But I think second-degree murder was a pretty um, – that would mean intent to yeah, kill. No, the only questionable charge uh, the, 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 where it may be interpreted incorrectly about a reckless disregard has to be a group, not an individual. But that there's a case about to be adjudicated anywhere, anyway in Missouri in a month or so that's going to clarify that. But there's no question that the use of force was excessive. oh a hundred percent. But was he is he a murder? The question is, did he did he intend to murder this person? Did he intend probably, to kill no, this? Probably person? Probably not. He intended to inflict bodily harm, and and the result was death. And therefore, that's a, that's a that's a criminal act. And therefore, the, the question is whether that's called second degree murder or not. Right, that, that, that's these legal nuances and how you. But those, it. but none of those nuances could ever be brought out. I think in the environment where it was happening. I'm not saying that George, uh, someone told me recently, uh, just a couple of minutes ago before we started recording, that people are already uh, uh, wanting to make Derek Chauvin a, a hero. A hero, not despicable. Yes, a, a an abject murderer. Uh, to the you know, there was no way this man could have gotten a, a fair trial. You've got to admit, right? I mean, well, you know, listen. I mean, jury trials in an atmosphere like that, especially given the comments by certain political figures about the need for a conviction, one could certainly make the claim. Also, the brief, the relatively brief period of of jury deliberation, kind of le- would lead an appeals court to possibly say that the jury had been intimidated. Also. The defense did ask for the jury to be sequestered, especially that last weekend when the state had already announced the civil settlement with the Ford family, implying right. an assumption of guilt. And they weren't sequestered during that. So there are arguments here in, in the process. But again, well, in an appeals process, we'll look at all of those things. But if the appeals court believes that despite all of those things, right, the politician statement, the lack of sequestering, right, the, the tainting of the jury, but whatever it is. He would have been convicted anyway. Or was, even if there are compelling arguments on appeal, right. they aren't necessarily decisive. Yes. Because the appeals court can say, yeah, you're right. None of those things should have happened. But we believe that no matter what. The merit of the case would have ended that right. way anyway. Right. right. So, so that, that's how appeals court looked at these things. Yes. So uh, he'll probably, I, I believe his appeal will be denied and he will spend a significant amount of time uh, in prison. And he's already in a maximum security place, according to the media. He's on suicide watch already. There was a certain cold bloodedness in his eyes that I think pretty much persuaded everybody that this was just a bad guy. However, you also need to be honest that even though you and I may believe in our hearts that he's a racist, there's no evidence of it. Right. There's no so, evidence he's so, racist. I believe he would have done it to a white guy. That doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying that. And, and police and police violence affects uh, more whites. Of course, are killed because there are more whites in the United States. No, but po- no but it, it, here, the, according to the Yale study, the Yale study is very important. In confrontations with police, white people are more likely to end up dead per confrontation. Black people are more likely to be assaulted. Now, you can also make the argument that the frequency of interaction is itself problematic. That blacks are, are are singled out, 
but in terms of per confrontation, whites are more actually are actually more likely to be killed than blacks. And also, if you look at the last 20 years, the number of blacks being killed at the hands of white police officers has in fact dropped, it dropped significantly. But that doesn't mean there aren't racist cops. It doesn't mean that blacks aren't victims of racial profiling. Look, but again, that's that's the reality. Look, of the- look neither of us are, 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 although we consider ourselves experts on many things, we really aren't in terms of legality. No, we aren't. We've watched Dragnet. We've watched NYPD Blue. How about Adam 12? What about Adam 12? <laughs> we watched Adam 12. We are certainly experts in police. We've yeah. watched Law and Order for over two decades. We are experts. We 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 know we know pretty much. <laughs> yeah, okay. We've seen movies. We saw Port Apache, the Bronx. We saw French Connection. We're you know we're experts. Yes. Really- well, I I definitely still pick my feet in Poughkeepsie as uh, <laughs> as as Popeye Doyle played by oh. Gene Hackman by Gene Hackman. But what it- was that movie with that cop who used to answer the phone? He used to pick up the phone. He never said hello. He used to pick up the phone. And go, ooh, ooh. Thrill me. Oh, there was a movie. <laughs> I so, thought we were talking about Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Oh, no, where, that's where, my time. Yes, yes, yes. Ooh, <laughs> yes, Fred Gwynn before he became a monster. I mean, Starsky and Hutch was a great show. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, I was learning in Yeshiva while Starsky and Hutch was uh, was around. Hutch, yeah, that was a good. That was, that was good. But no, but but the truth is, is that you know all these these programs have given us a sense of the heroism and the dedication of police, uh, the stuff we grew up on, and. That's really what I want to ask you about. Um, it's a t- it's an incredibly tough, terrible job. And yeah, I remember there was a great episode of NYPD. Remember Andy Sipowitz? So Andy Sipowitz was known for putting his hands on uh, suspects at times. Yes. And uh, there was this Russian immigrant um, who he had just slapped around or something. And the Russian says, oh, you only beat me because I'm an immigrant. And Andy Sipowitz says, but this is America. I would have beat you rich or poor. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So, you, so, so you are, you know, again, looking at it from a sociological perspective, things did start to shift in the late '80s and early '90s. We started becoming more critical about our cops, and we started thinking about them in a different way. And maybe that's what's led here. But I'm, I'm asking you. You are a person as a rabbi who deals with law enforcement, and especially before yeah. before COVID, we were all concerned about anti-Semitic actions. Do you see that there's any merit at all to a, a mass defunding of police in, in metropolitan areas? Well, everyone knows that the slogan defunding the police is going to hurt the Democrats. And when Rashida Tlaib says it and others say it, you know, the Democratic, you know, the, the Democratic leadership, whether it's Biden or Pelosi, uh, you know, uh, understand how, how how difficult that is. We also, uh, let's be blunt, if you ask Blacks living in urban areas, Blacks don't want the police to fund it. Black leadership understands they need police more than anyone. They are the number one victims of crimes. Uh, and people castigate Biden for the, for the crime bill in the 90s. That crime bill was supported by the Congressional Black Caucus at the time. Blacks suffer from crime more than anyone else. We all know, we all know that the typical murder that happens in America is unfortunately the victim of an African American. We know that, and uh, and and that's a tragic reality. And, uh, and and black leadership understands the desperate need for police and their neighbors, and again, better police. Uh, listen, it's uh, you know you know the quality of police officers like any group of people. There's some wonderful cops, and there's some that aren't perfect. But generally speaking, these are people who want to serve the community. Uh, and there are some racist cops who need to be 
penalized, dismissed, fired, and at times prosecuted when they, when, when, when they do what they're not supposed to do. Generally speaking, the cops are good people. Don't you, aren't you worried that in light of these um, uh, conviction, the conviction of Chauvin, and although many police came to testify against him, that this will have a ripple effect where police are going to be... Oh, it already uh, has. They're going to be scared to get involved. Oh, for sure. And that's, going to lead to, and that's going to lead to more crime. And that's going to lead to more 100%. people. And as, as terrible as George Floyd's death is, there might be a, a number of other victims who shouldn't have been victimized, who are now going to be victimized because police are not going to get involved. 100% that's correct. Because that's already happened in New York. It's happened in other places. And again, I'm not saying this to defend every police activity. Some of the ways the police conducted themselves during the BLM uh, marches and riots was inappropriate. Mostly it was all right to police behavior, but there were the cases where it was uh, where it was egregiously over over the top, where they they were they were excessively violent and aggressive. And, and again, but it does have the impact when cops get prosecuted for doing what cops do, which is how cops think. Then cops are less likely to get out of their cars, and they're and they're more likely to resign from the force and look for jobs in the private sector. And you already see an uptick in the crime rate. We can, you know, criminologists debate as, you know, the catalyst for the uptick, whether it was, whether it's COVID, whether it's like the economy, whether it's George Floyd and, and Michael Brown, you know, sending, you know, uh, disincentivizing police uh, intervention and, uh, and hurting police morale. You certainly see it in Baltimore and Chicago, you know, after the, the Rice case and the, uh, the case of Baltimore with the, with, with the fellow in the van and the prosecution there. You see it. You see it in many places. And if anything's going to get the Republicans, you know, control of the House back, and in uh, the in the midterm elections, it'll be issues like this. If the Democrats are perceived as having damaged the safety and security of of Americans by uh, the calls for defunding the police and an overly critical attitude towards enforcement. You're going to you're going to see the Republicans take over the House again. Let me ask you something. Doesn't it bother you? Um that we going back to Schoen for a minute and 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 it was sort of like a, a fait accompli that they had to find him guilty but also the threat that if he's not going to be guilty right we're, we're so the, the jury understood that if they if they would vote to acquit their homes would be burned down. right but but more no, than that there was also there was also a threat that was being sent to all the urban cities that there's going to be riots and there is going to be burning 100%. there's going to be looting Shouldn't there be an outrage to this? Shouldn't there should be. In other words, the same language that makes Trump culpable for January 6th is the same kind of language used by Democratic leaders in the uh, in the days of, leading to the jury decision and in the Chauvin case, where, where Maxine Waters... And, and, and the threat... And, but, but, but it was also not only the threat of violence, but it was also the idea the, that everyone stood by and said, yes, yeah, that makes sense. No, but more than there that, should, when, when, there, when, when, when you go to the courtroom and you see the businesses putting up uh, plywood on their windows. Right. Everyone understands that there's a threat if there's an acquittal. There's a right. threat to their city. So is, isn't that really an attack on, 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 on our institutions? So 100%. why? So, so how could the president of the United States, let me ask you, I, I, I only was aware of it afterwards because I'm giving shiurim and I'm doing podcasts. He goes on television and he says, I'm praying for the right. No, uh, it's not right. As an unhealthy, as, he's the chief executive of the United States. He should not be speaking about an ongoing criminal trial. There's no question he shouldn't be. So, and, and, and but again, legally at an appeals court level, all of that will be argued. 
You know the. Uh, but we know like, it's not going to make, as you said, Rabbi. But, 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 but it's, the, it's, it's already in my opinion. An appeals court will rule that yes, all of the things may have been terrible, right? The implicit threats, the in fact the jury wasn't sequestered, all this stuff. The appeals court will say, yeah, well, that's very important. But the reality is, the evidence against Chauvin was so overwhelming that no matter what the jury heard, didn't hear, knew, didn't know. They would have convicted anyone. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to get at, why aren't there should be there? We, we some voices should be willing to be raised to say as terrible as assaults against African-Americans are the institutions of the United States or of law and order also need to be held uh, as something sacrosanct that can't just be threatened because we don't like what's happening. There is a way to change the system and it doesn't come okay, from. Here's the problem. The people who would have the most credibility saying that would be moderate Democrats. The problem is, because of the extreme polarization and sectarianism, actually, in political life in America today, a moderate Democrat can't criticize anyone in his or her camp because then they get castigated and excommunicated. So, and I know there are moderate Democrats who would certainly be as troubled by you know, Biden's comments as, as would anyone else, but they can't say it. Because it's 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 all or nothing, black and white. My team's always right. Your team is always wrong. And not only is my team always right, your team always wrong. My team is good. Your team is evil. And uh, and, and and because of the polarization, moderates of both camps are are are, are cowered into silence on a whole host of issues. You saw it in the Republican response to Trump. You saw it in the Democratic yeah, right. response to Black Lives Matter. People are cowered into silence because they don't want to be disparaged by the people in their own political camp. Would you say that, um, you know, the, the police force that, for example, is patrolling Montreal, um, do you think that it, it matters to them what's happening here? Do you think that they are? They watch uh, it, absolutely. I know they do. Yeah. And, and, and they feel a sense of a kindred spirit with all police officers. Oh, sure. Even though it's in the United States. No, but I believe most police officers, 99% looked at Chauvin and said, that's a bad guy, let's get rid of him. Yeah, I think I, I think that is the case. I think most police felt that yeah. uh, that that he was. Um, well, so are you going to speak about this in 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 the synagogue? Are you going to talk no, about this? No. I mean, I, I, I no. I mean, I the only part of this story that's relevant for I think a bit directly, all of it, but directly touched on on, on uh, you know on, uh, on on Jewish matters and on uh, Jewish family life is, is the idea that. As Jews, we do have a responsibility uh, to protect the unprotected. There's no question, and we also have to speak up for, for justice. But again, Jews need a society where law and order is respected. And and also, given the threat to our institutions, we need good relations with the police. So no matter what we would want to say, it has to be seen through the prism of yes, those are my values. But where where do my interests lie? Right. Because we need police cooperation, we need well, the police to actually, you know, drive by our synagogue. Well, well, you know, Keith Ellison uh, said that this is not justice; this is accountability. But we are still very far from justice. Um, do you believe that it it helps us to to echo those type of comments to say that we are in that the society is still very much unjust? I mean, it's one thing to say. No, that I, 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 first of all. I fundamentally disagree with those who describe America as systemically racist. I fundamentally disagree with those who describe police forces 
as being systemically racist. There are racist elements in America and in police, but America is not systemically racist. Canada is not systemically racist. I don't believe that. I believe that Blacks have made extraordinary progress of course. in the last 50 years since the Civil Rights Act and before. And I, I don't believe we live in an era of Jim Crow. I do not, I don't believe that at all. I reject that completely. And I believe critical race theory is wrong. It hurts America. It hurts, um, it, it creates a malaise in the American self-consciousness about who they are and their place in the world. And it's a lie. It's also a lie and a fiction. I don't believe it. I don't believe it and it should be rejected. And I, but I also know how difficult it is for a Jewish leader to say that out loud. Right. And, and you're lucky that you're only saying this on the Yeshiva of Newark podcast, right. where you're where you're hoping you're only going to get 50 to 75 or 100 downloads. <laughs> right. And may, but if you're going to get like we uh, when we started this uh, enterprise, where sometimes you're getting 300, 400, 500 downloads, maybe you'd be a little bit scared of putting this out there. I, I wasn't aware of the numbers. <laughs> but, but but it's as as you say this is we know it to be true and yet we can't say it this is as, I, as you know i i happen to believe that america is probably the least racist country in the world and the fact is that and, and we know that we, we know and we know it from uh you're not permitted to say it but the inequitable result of certain life let me put it nicely all right the fact that Blacks are poor or, or more likely to be criminals is not about racism. It's not, or I should let me put it this way: it's not only about race. Black choices happen to play a role. Right, but those I would I would probably just argue back that those choices that might have been made in the twentieth or twenty first century have some relevance to the fact that how they how blacks, how, blacks, how blacks came to the united states in other words oh, you're, you're, no. i didn't say that it was the determining factor i'm saying that there has been because of the slavery history there it, we never really came after the civil war to a real racial equality type of mentality the reality is if you if you look at the statistics on poverty and education you erase race from it. You put in factors like education and single parenting. There's no disparity between whites and blacks. It's about life choices. And before the Civil Rights Act and before uh, you know, the uh, Great Society program, uh, single parenthood in the black community is just in the same numbers as the white community. In fact, as many of the programs, well-meaning programs, well-thought-out programs, had unintended negative consequences on choices. It, uh, it 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 triggered uh, it incentivized bad decisions and and and, and a, a wealth was, let's call it what it is a welfare mentality right and 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 the, and black men are redundant and everything else now that's not to say there isn't racism redlining clearly racist uh, the higher the higher the longer sentences giving to crack cocaine rather than powdered cocaine clearly. Animated by, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the racism. However, generally speaking, poverty and education and all of these factors play a significant role. And and blacks have, you know, have choices to make. And and and, and they and, and the pathology of the black community is not simply the result of racism. It has to do with, the, you know, the decisions made by made by the black community and black families. 
Well, I guess we should uh, wrap this up here. Just, you know, we, we talk about things from a Jewish perspective, and, and it's interesting that the idea of policing and imprisonment is really found very innocuously in the Torah, right? We find, uh, you know, we, we sometimes sequester a person to find out if the person is going to die. Um, there are situations where over and above uh, a person can be imprisoned, but, but, but this is really something which is really not part of our biblical mentality. The idea of 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 mass imprisonment. And, and the only all, the only prison mentioned in Torah is Yosef, if I remember correctly. Well, what we told oh, us. the Torah put him. Yeah, the Mishpah, Right, yeah. and 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 the Sukkim and Parshas Mishpatim speak about right. putting someone who right. who is who has possibly murdered someone. And and right, so there, we do have an idea of, and and of course the Poskim have spoken about how we can extend this idea and how important it is. But it is something that we don't have the usual tools. And I think you know we talk about Shotrim. When we talk about people who are there to enforce uh, Torah law and, and to try, you know, the Rambam speaks about, you know, we're not talking about people with, with, with guns. We're talking about people who says, you know, stay away from that married woman. You know, in other words, the show trip go around and or, or they try to make sure that the din that the judge has ruled is going to be followed. But the idea of actually arming these people to a point that if they don't follow it, they are immediately arrested. And that is something that we don't really have that type of precedent for. Oh, and right. I think because of that, Rabbi Pupko, a lot of what we say isn't built on the same sort of uh, solid material that we have for other I types. Agree, of... I agree. We don't really have, right? We don't have literature. So... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.